0: I greet you in Christ's name. Uh, this is my first time here, but I feel very much at home. Thank you for your your love and your hospitality. Uh, it's a blessing to meet people that you've never met before, but you're connected because the Spirit of God is what makes that connection, and I'm blessed by that. The Lord has laid on my heart to uh, preach a, a three-part message. Now, don't... don't you know, fall off the chair. It's not going to take that long. Uh, three small parts, okay? Uh, and the first one is, there is an enemy without. On the outside, there's an enemy. This is the enemy of our soul, and he is trying to take everyone he possibly can to hell with him. And that's Satan. And I want you to think about that. We're living in a world where Satan is ruling in this world. In fact, the Bible calls him the God of this world. And as we think about that, that's one of the reasons God is calling us out of the world. And if he's calling us out of the world, where, where is he calling us to? Not just in a you know, <laughs> a no place. No, he's calling us out of the world into his body of believers. The church. And... There is where we thrive. There's where we find protection. There's where we find uh, sustenance and food for our spiritual life. And that is something we want to look at today. So Satan is uh, the enemy uh, without or on the outside. And uh, he attacks us from the outside. And I want you to think about that. He has the ability to inject thoughts into our hearts and minds. He has the ability to... Uh, inflict us with uh, his thoughts and i want you to think about uh, the garden of eden as we look at uh, his tactics and the bible says we are not ignorant of his devices and so turn with me if you will to uh, genesis chapter 3 we just want to look at that again i know it's so familiar we we tend not to put a whole lot of effort into understanding it afresh but this morning i'd like for you to look at it and let's just, we're thinking now of the tactics that Satan uses from the outside to bring us uh, to defeat. And that's what he was doing here. And so I want to begin reading um, in chapter 2. Uh, we'll be, we begin in chapter 2 here. Um, and I'd like to uh, simply look at verses 15 and following to begin with. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now we drop down to chapter 3. And here it's telling us that, uh, I'll begin with verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than... Than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And that question, Mark, I just want you to stop and think about that. Many times Satan will inject hey, just a question. Just a question. Uh, and its its whole purpose is to question the word of God. And we we find the word of God to be uh, what we live by it's the manna that feeds our soul and there's commands there's injunctions there is our instructions in the word of god and sometimes that runs counter to uh, the uh, people around us and they take issue with that and sometimes we are asked a question like eve was asked did god really say that and so uh so he begins to plant that, just that little shadow of, uh, what if? What if he he didn't really mean that? Uh, and I run into people all the time who take the word of God in exactly that way. Uh, they say it was written 2,000 years ago, uh, and things have changed. Well, verse 17 says, uh, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. This is Eve's response. She's saying, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's in chapter 2. Now in chapter 3, now the serpent comes and he he questions that. And and then Eve, uh, I I said that wrong, that was God speaking in chapter 2. Now we come to uh, chapter 3 and in verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, here's her response, We may eat, and I want you to think carefully, every word of her response. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, I want you to consider something that's missing from her response. Why didn't she say there was another tree in the midst of the garden? Why didn't she say the tree of life is in the midst of the garden? And we may freely eat of that. But her focus was on the question. Which that's normal for all of us. When somebody asks a question, you focus on the question so that you can get the right answer. But the right answer in this was god's commandment and there was a tree of life also in the midst of the garden she didn't mention that her focus was now turned on the negative on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which god had declared you shall not eat of it and then uh it goes on to tell us uh, and the serpent now has a response in verse four and the serpent said unto the woman ye shall not surely die that's his response and so she contemplates that for a bit what the serpent is saying ye shall not surely die for God doth know now he's casting a shadow on the character of God a question about the character of God for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil ah well we want to know don't we I mean, our world is awash with information, knowledge, and yet human knowledge without Christ is, will take us away from God. And so here we, fe- we see that uh, she, was, uh, she was focused on that question and her response. And now Satan comes back and says that uh, God is not being fair with you. Mm-hmm. How many times have I heard that in life? You know, God's not fair. Uh, when man take God, sovereign, almighty God, and bring them, bring him down to a human level and judge him by human intellect, that doesn't work. He is God. He's sovereign. He's almighty. And we need to be, uh, understanding of that. And we are frail human beings. He is infinite and we are finite. He is righteous, we are unrighteous. And then it goes on to say, and when the woman, now her focus has changed. Now she's focusing on that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice the focus. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, it really looked great. And, and this seed of doubt that was planted in her mind about what god had said and a tree to be desired to make one wise she reached out and took of it now i want you to think about this uh that she doubted god's word she reached out and she touched it then she took of it then she ate of it and then she gave it to adam And I have people that still judge God on this scripture. That many years ago, our first parents ate fruit from a tree and that condemned all the human race uh, to hell. I have people that make those kind of statements. And I said, no, that's not what happened. What happened was they took their own way above God's way. They took their own way above God's way, and any time we do that, we are sinning. Uh, and there's something in us that makes us want to do that. And Satan utilizes that, and he attacks us from the outside with questions. And we begin to question, we begin to look, we begin to analyze, we begin to consider, and then we get into big trouble especially when we take our own way above God's way. We are transgressing the law of God. And uh, at, at that moment, they became mortals. It's my understanding that they were not created mortals. I told that to one person. He said, you mean they were created aliens? <laughs> no, they were earthlings, of course. <laughs> but but they, they were, I believe, God initially created Adam and Eve with a body that would live eternally. Especially if they fed on the tree of life. But when they took their own way above God's way. They fell. They became mortals, Subject to sickness, pain and death. And sin. Sin began to reign within them. Now it says that their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. And they saw that they were naked. Now I want you to turn to. Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four. I find something sort of a paradox from what we've just looked at. Now I want to begin reading of verse three. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three. It says, but our gospel, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost. Notice it's punctuated with a colon. It is So he's going to explain what he means by that in the next phrase. So, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. In Genesis, their eyes were opened and they saw their condition, their sin. So the God of this world, in offering us an openness to see a light, is actually the opposite. He's blinding us to the true light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he says, ye are the light of the world. So what happens is when we allow Satan from the outside to inject thoughts into our hearts and minds, and we contemplate them, we think about them, we wonder, is that something I want? And we begin to long for it. Uh, you know, here is what happened. It blinds our eyes to the light of God. And we can't see the light of God. The, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is lost to us. And that's a terrible thing, and we see it all the time. We even see people who have walked with God for a time turn their backs on God because of something that happened. Someone that they had a lot of trust in, uh, they realized was living in sin all the time, and it just, it, it jerks the carpet up from under them, and they, they can't handle it, and they turn their back on God. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't God's doing. That's not why they fell. They fell because they didn't continue. And I, I appreciated uh, what we've heard so far this morning, I think it's great. Uh, the the lesson that we we listen to and the children's class all fit in together so beautifully. In Deuteronomy, and we're not going to turn to this, but in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, it says, He, meaning God, is the rock. His work is perfect. For all of his ways are judgment. A God of truth. We worship a God of truth. You know that? That's where truth is found. We worship a God who has truth. And he is, as it goes on to say, he is without iniquity, just and right is he. And so as we consider that, we have a wonderful God to serve. And I am so blessed by that. May, may God help us to uh, just continue on in our Christian life and to serve God. So Satan is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. And uh, he's the enemy of, on the outside, trying to blind us. Uh, and, you know, we need to... We, he tries to get us to forget the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the truth and the love of Almighty God. I've come to appreciate the term Almighty God because I talk with so many people who have shrunken God down to a, a human level. Now, I want to think of... Uh, <clears throat> This uh, this thing of Satan is able to inject wrong thoughts into our minds. Um, I, I worked with a man, uh, in the hospital. His son was unconscious and I specialed his son for six months. And, uh, this man was uh, a believing man. He and his family, they, they belong to the Church of Christ and, and, uh, so this gave opportunity. I mean, the father would come and he would stay with the son all night long, all the next day. Wife would come the next day and they would swap. Son would go home to be with, uh, father would go home to be with other children and the wife would stay there. The mother would stay there with his son waiting for the day that he would wake up. And so I specialed him for six months, had many wonderful talks with his family about the Lord, about God, about living the Christian life. And uh, one day we got into this deep discussion and he said, and this goes along with our Sunday school lesson. He said, but Johnny... I sin. I sin every day. Now I want you to think about something. A painter paints. A farmer farms. A builder builds. A a baker bakes. And a sinner sins. What we do is what we are. And if we are sinning every day, are we truly children of God? That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us out of our sins. And I want to, I want to zero in on that. And that brings us to a second part here. And this part is, there is also an enemy within. Not only is there an enemy without, there's also an enemy within. And that is our carnal nature that became ours in the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And we all have a sinful nature within us. And sometimes I illustrate it because we have people who think, uh, uh, they think in psychological terms that we are, we're just a hunk of flesh and, and there's neurons running through our brain and there's no spirit and uh, no soul. And, you know, they have all kinds of human explanations for the t- tremendous way that God has put us together. And I, I just, I want you to think about something. We are body, soul and spirit. And and the Bible tells us that God created us in his own image and after his likeness. I want you to get that. So we are a reflection of the makeup of God. And God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are also a tripartite being. We have a body that has five senses. And in these five senses, we uh, we understand the world around us. Whether it's hot or cold or light or dark, you know. We're comfortable, we're uncomfortable. Through our five senses, we, we become world conscious around us, earthly conscious. And then in our soul, we, that contains our mind, will, and emotions. And there's where we make decisions. There's where we think. And that's the battleground. That's where Satan injects thoughts. And, you know, uh, a thought can come to me, uh, just on the spur of the moment. And, and James says it's coming from within. He says, "Yeah, that we have, we have, we we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed, and so from within we can also have temptations. So whether it's from without or from within, we still have to be on guard. And I I like to illustrate it like this: I can take my hand and and hold my finger out at, at an arm's length, and I can see my fingernail, the little wrinkles on the back of my knuckle, you know, and I can see it fine." But I can keep my eyes right there and move it out here 45 degrees. I see something wiggling. But I can't see the wrinkles and I can't see the uh, the fingernail. I can go out here 90 degrees. And there's some blob out there, but I can't tell what it is. I'm still focusing up here. When without or within a thought comes at this point and we identify it as sin, we kick it out immediately. We don't bring it over here So, say, wait a minute, what is this out there? Oh, and then pull it in here and just really gaze at it. That's what Eve did. We don't do that. When you are a child of God and that temptation comes to you, that evil thought, that lustful thought, or that spark of anger or the words that fly into your head, and they're out here, you know, right then and there, you say, that's that's not the Lord. Boom, out of here. You denounce it. You reject it. And it's gone. You bring it into focus, it'll get you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we need to learn to have spiritual reflexes. Uh, at home, I did a little illustration. I told the, the congregation, if somebody comes up here, I'll take this glass of water. And if, if you can hold your eyes open as I slosh this water in your face, I'll give you $50. I kept my $50. Well, nobody wanted to try it. The point is... That's a reflex to protect our eyes. You don't think, oh, something's coming, I gotta shut my eyes. You don't say that. It's not a thought, it's a reflex. And we need to develop spiritual reflexes that when something enters into our our, our thinking or into our mind that we know is wrong, immediately, boom, we take care of it. It's not a it's not a hard temptation. It's easy at that level that we can we can denounce it and get rid of it. So that's something that we need to to engage in. Now, we also uh yeah, we have a, a mind, a will, and we have emotions within our soul. But deeper yet, there's another core aspect to our being and that is spirit. Every one of you sitting here today is alive And that means you have a spirit. Now, if that spirit would leave you, you would be dead. Mm -hmm. And the spirit's kind of finicky. If, uh, if you damage this uh, tabernacle that it lives in beyond a certain point, spirit moves out. We call that death. But that's only from a human perspective. You're not, that spirit didn't die. I ask people sometimes, you gotta shock people to get out of their rut of thinking. And so I says, uh, do you remember being at that uh, funeral of that spirit that died? They go, what? You can't go to a spirit that dies because spirits are incapable of dying. You have a spirit within you that can not die. And the Bible calls the second death of hell. And spirits go there that have rejected Jesus Christ as their savior. And so we have, a, in our spirit, we have intuition. Intuition, which simply means we just know that murdering somebody is wrong. You don't have to be taught that. You know it. That rape is wrong. Uh, that, that these things are, you know, so we have a conscience because we have an intuition that builds us a conscience. But we also have another element, and that's worship. In the tabernacle, as you approach the tabernacle, you had that linen, uh, that linen fence around it. And that was unique because I went to, uh, Colonial Williamsburg. If you never were there and you get a chance to get into Virginia, you go to, go to Colonial Williamsburg. Very, you, you learn a lot. And so there is this big black man was there and he was showing us how to make linen. I never knew. But linen is a small stalk about the size of your finger, but it looks like a corn stalk. It's got joints in it, and it's got a sort of a a casing, just like a corn stalk would have that's, you know, dead, and and, uh, it's hard. And so there he had this tool that was made with intermeshing boards on edge, and he would throw this, uh, 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 I'd say, maybe six or eight of these stalks out there, and he'd go chomp, 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 chomp chomp, 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 chomp until he broke up all the outer uh, uh, casing. And then he had this board with a bunch of nails stuck to it and he'd throw it over that and pull it out and pull it out and he would comb those pieces, those harsh pieces out. Then he had a finer comb and he'd do it again until finally when he was done he had these silky looking threads and that's what linen is but it has to be broken. It has to be broken. And so that that fence around the tabernacle that you saw as you walked up to it speaks of the brokenness of Jesus Christ. That he was broken for our transgressions. And the post that held it up had silver sockets. Silver is the price of redemption. And there's so much to learn in that. And then when you go into the sanctuary where the table of showbread was on one side and the candelabra or candlestick on the other side and the altar of incense and there you have worship that represents the soul of man, the outer part represents the body of man the the sanctuary, the soul of man there there was the light, the illumination Uh, there was where praise uh, is offered to God and beyond the veil was the holy of holies where the spirit of God dwelt and when Jesus died, that veil was rent in, tw- in twain from the top to the bottom. And the Bible tells me that that was represented, representing the, the flesh. Jesus. That his body was broken and that tore that veil open so that we had access to the Father. But it also is speaking to me that my fleshly nature has to be torn before God can enter into my holy of holies. I love that. I love that picture. And so we need to be broken. We need to be torn uh, in our fleshly nature so that we can truly be redeemed. And that brings me to the third part that I want to talk about this morning. And that is that um, redemption Redemption, the redemption of God. So first we have the enemy on the outside, the enemy on the inside, and then we have the redemption of God. How does that work? Well, I loved what uh, we heard the children uh, learning this morning, that there is redemption in Jesus Christ, that as we are born again by the Spirit of God. And I'd like for you to turn with me to that scripture, which is John chapter 3. And let's just take a fresh look at that as well. I love that scripture. I remember... As a, a young, a young fellow reading that and beginning to understand what it was saying. And notice, notice, uh, Jesus is answering saying, um, in John 3 verse 3, uh, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, very truly, I say unto you, except or unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If we do not have the spirit of god within us we cannot understand the the kingdom of god if we do not if we have not been washed in the blood of the lamb and sin is still rooted within us and we are serving self and we're serving sin and we're serving satan we cannot comprehend the kingdom of god it's an impossibility and i want to i want to share something with you i used to live in romania and uh I went into a store one day. I wanted something that was typically Romanian. And I was looking around for all kinds of things. Would this be? Would that be? And then I saw something very cute. There were two little dolls. They stood about 10 inches high. Dressed in traditional village costume. One was a man. One was a woman. And I looked at them. And I love the picture of their costumes because they were typical of the village they came from. But their heads, I was disappointed in their heads. The heads were made out of ping pong balls. (laughs) All painted up, eyes, nose, mouth, everything. (laughs) And I picked one up and when I did, the ping pong ball swiveled around a little bit. I said, whoop, they're not fastened very tight. (laughs) And I took the two and set them side by side and I looked at them a little bit and I put them closer and closer together and all of a sudden the two went and kissed. (laughs) They had magnets inside. Now there's a lesson in that. Inside of us there is a magnet. Inside of us there is a magnet that is pulling us towards sin it's pulling us towards sin Satan knows that so he comes from the outside with a with an equal magnet that attracts and many people fall because of that many people allow that mag. what's you know it's coming from within it must be okay sometimes they even confuse it with the uh, with the spirit of God but don't Don't mistake that because the Bible says that Satan himself can change himself into an angel of light. And we need to go back to the word of God. It's got to be the word of God. It's got to mesh with the word of God or it's false. And so we have it. Now, if I would have been able to take that ping pong ball off and reach up in there. And all I'd have to do was be flip that one magnet upside down, glue it back in place. You know what happened? The closer i get them together, the farther apart they would go. That's what Jesus wants to do with you and me. He wants to reach up inside of us and give us something that repels sin. That that makes sin an abhorrence to us. And in in our Sunday school lesson today, it's so beautiful. We don't sin because we don't want to harm our relationship with God. That's the most precious thing we have in life. And it's going to supersede life. It's going to be ours after this life is over. And so we need to let God perform that operation and give us within us the Holy Spirit that will give us an abhorrence to the to the sin question. And looking down to verse five, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of god our entrance into the kingdom of god demands cleansing and a filling if we don't have the holy spirit the bible says we are not his it goes on to say in verse six that which is born of flesh is flesh you know what that means well a couple of things you know i can look at some of you and say uh-uh. you know, i don't know you but i can see where this one belongs to that family <laughs> They resemble each other. Uh, That which is born of flesh is flesh. But there's something deeper. That which is born of our carnal nature. Flesh. The Bible uses the word sarx. S-A-R-X in Greek. To express our sinful carnal nature. And it's saying. That which is born of the carnal nature is carnal. That which is born of our sinful nature is sinful. But he goes on to say. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And if you look in your Bible, capital S in the first Spirit, no capital in the second one. So what happens is, when we are born again, our Spirit, which died in the fall, in that it could no longer communicate directly with God. Up until that time, they could walk with with. The Lord God in the, in the garden, they could communicate with Him. There was relationship there, but when they took their own way above God's way, that relationship was broken. They could no longer, with a, with a spirit that had been corrupted and contaminated with sin, they could no longer directly, uh, approach God. They needed an intermediary, and Jesus Christ became that. And so we have, uh, we have a wonderful thing here. Now that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Holy Spirit is your spirit. I want you to get that. Our spirit is born anew, and now you've got a receiver within you. Now we're sitting here today. Uh, how many of you have cell phones? Raise your hand. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you, you have not turned on or off. But around us, that's the normal population. How many? How many hundreds of thousands of of, 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 of messengers are passing through and around us all the time, plus radio and TV and microwave and who knows what all else. And all these messages, but I don't have a receiver for them, so I'm not affected. Can't hear them, can't see them, can't feel them. I'm untouched. But so it is with God. If we don't have his receiver within us, we cannot perceive the kingdom of God. We can't perceive the message of God. We're lost. We're undone. And that's why we need to be born again by the Spirit of God. And I love that, you know. Uh, and then Jesus says it again. He reiterates it in verse 7. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And then verse 8 illustrates it. The wind blows from one direction or the other direction. You can't see the wind. You can see the brush moving. You can see the limbs of the trees move. But you can't see the wind. And it says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There's a power there that is ours. Through the Spirit of God. I had a knock on my door one Saturday. I go out. And there's two women there. Uh, we are from the Watchtower Society. That's Jehovah's Witness. And we're here to uh, talk to you. I said, sure. And so they took off. And, you know, I've got this little rule at my house. If you come to visit me and you talk non-stop, I'll probably stop you after a while. <laughs> so I asked this lady, you know, well, I, I figured it this way. When they reached the 50% mark, it's time for me to kick in. And so I thought they were about there, so I, I butted in. I said, isn't it wonderful uh, to to be born of the Spirit of God and, you, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within you is guiding you and helping you make the decision of life and, and empowering you. Isn't that just beautiful? And the woman said, <clears throat> well, we don't exactly believe in the Holy Spirit in the same way that you do. And I said, really? You mean, You mean to tell me that the Holy Spirit isn't the third person of the Godhead? She said, well, we think it's, a, it's a, a force sent from God, but, yeah. And I went like this. I wouldn't even attempt to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit because you can't do it. You cannot do it. And so, brethren, sisters, we need to depend on the Spirit of God. Now, we're living in an age of of Reason. Uh, where people reason everything out. I just found out that scientists now claim they they have discovered consciousness. Whoop diddly. I mean, I've been conscious for a long time. (laughs) You know, I don't know what they discovered. I don't think they can pack it in a box or anything. So we find, you know, science is trying to become a god unto himself. Man is trying to become a God unto himself. And so we are living in that age. Somehow, somehow, we must separate ourselves from that. Jesus said, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. And you should be my children and I'll be your God. That's beautiful. That's relational. And uh, that's what I need. So I'd like to, to just... Uh, you know, think about that for a moment as we go to Romans chapter 7. Turn with me in, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. There's lots of controversy about Romans 7. But, uh, I love it. Uh, and I want to share with you what I, what I see in Romans 7. I want to be, just break in at verse 18. Romans 7 verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my sarks, my flesh. My carnal nature, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. A lot of people think this is the Apostle Paul's testimony. It's not. is not Paul's testimony. He is showing us what mankind is without Christ. That's what this chapter is showing, the depravity of man. There's no good thing in our s- uh, sinful nature, nothing. And then it goes on, and it kind of gets back and forth. The good that I would, I do not. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I can't help myself, you know. And he goes on and on with this. And it comes down, he says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's something in me that wants wants to reach out for God, but... I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So there's that, that magnet that's pulling us towards sin. Now I want you to look at the next verse, verse 24. I This has come to mean so much to me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What's he talking about? Paul knew that his audience in Rome would understand this. Because there were times during warfare where they captured an enemy soldier. And they would take that enemy soldier and they would take a corpse of a dead soldier and lay it on the ground. They would force this man to lay face to face on that dead corpse. They would stretch out his arms and tie him fast to that dead corpse. There was ropes around his neck, his face against that dead man's face. His belly to belly, leg to leg, and they would tie him up that way and walk off. And nobody would release him. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? They said it was, it was more cruel than crucifixion. The man knows that he can't get loose. The man knows that he's gonna die and that the infection from this rotting corpse that he has to inhale is gonna kill him. And he can't get, he can't get away from it. Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, the allegory is, we, with our carnal nature, are bound to this thing that's gonna bring us to spiritual death. We can't get loose. We can't kick him out. There's nothing we can do about it. And then he goes on to say, He answers his own question. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, period. Notice that, period. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's where we find deliverance from the body of this death, this this carnal nature that's bringing us to death. And then he goes on to explain one more time. He says, so with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. I want to. But with the flesh, the sarks, you can only serve sin. Now, when Paul wrote that, he didn't say, that's the end of the chapter, I'm going to start a new one. No, he went right on to the next verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Why? It's dealt with the sarks. The Spirit of God in us is what supersedes, overcomes, and subdues our sinful nature. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. That means who live not after the flesh. That's what it means. But after the Spirit. They are living after the Spirit of God or living by the power of the Spirit of God. Then it says, for the law of the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit, of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from that body of death. Free from the sarks. Free from the carnal nature so that I can do the things that I would, so that I can worship and serve Almighty God. For the, uh, Then it goes on to say in verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who live or walk not after the flesh but after the spirit so this morning I'm asking you if, if we had a gauge and the gauge would tell us you know are we walking according to spirit or are we catering to the flesh what would your gauge be hmm? how much of your life are you bringing to God how much of your life have you sold out to God uh, what areas of life were you sort of putting a, a, a shield around it? I know because I used to do that. Mm-hmm. I was a born-again Christian, but I had gotten into wrong music long before that. It wasn't the garbage you hear today, but it wasn't godly. And if it's not godly, it's carnal. Very simple. Today, if I hear a song, I listen to the rhythm, I listen to the tempo, I listen to the phraseology, and is it biblical? Is it praising God? And if it's not praising God, I don't want it. I just don't want it. But I was all wrapped up in that. And it gave me prestige with my youth group, you know. And I would fall on my knees. Oh God, I adore Thee. I want to be used of You. Take me, mold me, shape me, make me the person You want me to be. I'm Yours. Deep flowing between me and God. And the Holy Spirit reached down and put his finger right on my music and stopped my prayer right there. I like to figure my way around things. So I tried to figure my way around that. I'd back up and I'd try to pray in a little different direction, you know, get around that blockage. Didn't work. That didn't happen one time. It happened until I gave up. I said, Lord, I tear down the fence. It's all yours. And I praise God for that. I began to grow in my Christian life. And I don't know about you, but there are little... Where I grew up in the South, many farms had a graveyard and they had a little fence around it. They didn't farm that. It bore no fruit. Many of them grew up in bushes and trees and you couldn't even find the gravestones anymore. And so I had a I had sort of a graveyard there uh with some dead things in it. And I had a fence around it I wanted to keep God out. <laughs> uh but God wasn't satisfied with that, you know. Uh, God is he is one who is not satisfied with us with us not being fully committed to him. He wants us to be fully committed. I want you to drop down to another um, verse verse 7 here in Romans chapter 8. It says because the carnal mind the sarks mind is enmity against God. Enmity. Enmity. That's a word that we don't use very often in our English language. Um, enmity. But I'm going to illustrate what it really means. I was 15 years old. I had my driver's license at 15. And uh, my boss had a brand spanking new Econoline Ford truck. And... Uh, Oh, it wasn't what you think. It was a stub nose and the motor set between the two seats. <laughs> and, uh, but he told me, he said, uh, Johnny, I want you to take this bottle of muriatic acid and go over to that, that uh, place where we worked last week and, and wash the smudges off of that brick face of that fireplace in the garage there. And I said, okay. Uh, can I take this bucket? No, he said. I need this bucket because I have to keep mixing mortar and keep laying bricks on this job. You'll find something over there. You can put the muriatic acid. Okay, so I go over there and and I I go in and uh, this is a cement floor and I knew if you get muriatic acid on a, a cement floor it'll bleach it out right right there you know so I want to be very careful and I looked around and the only thing I could find was an old pot uh, that they use for to feed the cat had a little bit of. Goo in it, and so I knocked the goo out, and and I set it down on the floor, and I took this five-gallon jug of muriatic acid, and I leaned over and I bloop, 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 you know, until I had about three inches in it, and I, now I want to get rid of this. I'll get this acid out of here. So I carried the acid out, and when I turned around and looked back in the room, it was full of fog. Now what is going on? And I rushed in, and under the fog, I could see that that pot sitting there. And it, all this stuff was coming out of it, and I reached down to grab it, and I picked it up, and it burnt my hand so bad I dropped it. But it didn't matter; there was no liquid in it anymore. There is enmity between a cast iron aluminum and muriatic acid. I found that out. And you can do anything you want to to the aluminum or the muriatic acid; they're just never going to be friends. They're going to be anti one another. Well I use that to to say when we are taking our own way and we are carnal in our thinking carnal in our understanding and in our actions we are at enmity with God and you can't you cannot negotiate with God to allow it you can't you have to be changed for it is not this this carnal nature is not subject to the law of God and it says neither indeed can be it, it doesn't have the ability to be. So then, uh, they that are in the flesh, the sarks, the carnal nature, cannot please God. But we're not in the flesh, verse 9, but in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Beloved, we, we, have such a wonderful salvation that when we allow the blood of Jesus Christ to wash our past sins away and to cleanse us within so that we stand before God, forgiven and cleansed, he places his Holy Spirit within us and that's what transforms us and gives us, quote, spiritual DNA so that I'm a child of God. <laughs> I love that. So may we together uh, seek to walk close with the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in all that we do so that we are truly his. I'd like to, for you to turn in your hymnals to number six hundred and ninety nine. Wanna sing that and close it. Is there an extra book someone? Oh here I got one. Thanks. Six hundred and ninety nine.
1: Let's sing together. Lord, I am fondly, earnestly looking into thy holy life.